talking about self-doubt that we talked about, um, to be able to, you know, counter that, that yes, women can take charge. Yes, women can have the agency in order to work better, to help to create safe spaces and communities that are stronger, that are more reliable, self-reliable. And um, that's why. Yeah, 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 yeah. And welcome to another episode of Elementary, a podcast created and hosted by the Refugee Center. Join us as we explore the experiences and challenges faced by many newcomers to Canada at various stages in their journeys. Transcending Borders, Point of Entry offers an exclusive into the voices behind the numbers and the policies behind the action. Travel alongside the Refugee Center as our alternating hosts, as well as our captivating guests, guide us through the resettlement process in Canada and introduce us to the inner workings of grassroots organizations here in Montreal. In celebration of International Women's Day on March 8th, we decided to dedicate the entire month to highlight some important women shaping and impacting our Montreal community. So hello, my name is Sarah Jesmer. I work for the Refugee Center. Today, I'm gonna to be speaking to our two wonderful guests, Tina Ali, a tech powerhouse working at Shopify, and Fabiola Gemelu Temeni, a politician, activist, and founder of the Black Girls Gather Book Club. Hello to both of you. Hi. Hello. Um, to start off with, can you both introduce yourselves and tell us what you guys do? Maybe, Tina, you can go first. Sure. So my name is Tina. I am a software engineer. I work as a development manager at Shopify. Uh, development manager just essentially means that I lead a team of engineers uh, and I, we work on cool things for, you know, our shop, our Shopify merchants who want to sell stuff online. Lots of entrepreneurs use Shopify. So um, a lot of the things that we work on are related to helping entrepreneurs as well. Hello, my name is Fabiola. I am a, a Concordia psychology uh, undergrad. Um, but I'm also a community activist and politician. I started a community organization called Black Girls Gather, which centers around young Black girls and literature. And um, I'm very, very prominent in uh, the politics community. I like to be engaged in the discussions that we have. And so I decided to run as uh, to be an MP in the last uh, election. Tell um, me a little so bit about your, your, your start in that. Mm -hmm. So Black Girls Gather started about two years ago. That's when we had the idea and um, when we started uh, planning uh, on how the book club was gonna look like. Um, essentially, uh, I went to a predominantly white institution here in Montreal. And so I never had the opportunity to read and uh, be in contact with books that centered people who look like me or discussions that center individuals who look like me. And so I knew that this was not a problem. This was a problem that uh, others had faced. Uh, and we wanted to, me and my partner, Mariam Touray, we wanted to remedy that issue by creating a space for young Black women where they're able to read literature by Black authors, but also uh, discuss about the issues and successes that they face in uh, Montreal and Quebec and in Canada, being a marginalized uh, minority, essentially. 
And uh, we've been going on for two years now. It's been going great. The girls, our participants are really, really um, in love with the program, in love with the books that they're reading and the discussions that we're having, but also the special guests and workshops that we have to get them more active and to show them that black culture and black literature is so widespread here in Canada and Quebec and um, that their voice and their needs need to be met and are, are represented through the voices of our program. What are you reading most recently? So we are starting the month of March and uh, we, this year we dedicated the month of March as our month to talk about love, to talk about relationships, to talk about sexuality because it's kind of taboo in the black community. And so we're reading Blackout, which is a collection of short stories about love, um, love between partners, love between friends, families, um, in the workplace. And uh, at the end of the month, we're going to have a um, sexual health workshop so that the girls get the basics because we know that that is something that is not taught in schools um, and that is not really discussed uh, within the family realm. So we're really trying to give that to the girls so that they can go out into the world with that knowledge. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. Tina, how about you? Um, can you talk to me a bit about how you began at Shopify and how you got to the place that you're at now in your career? Yeah, I would say, um, uh, I mean, I think going into software engineering in the first place was kind of a lucky thing. I, it was not like a life, you know, childhood dream of mine. It just uh, was a a mix of both luck and, you know, trying to choose something practical, something that I would like and that was practical. Um, you know, coming from an immigrant background, your parents always tell you choose something stable, something good. So that's kind of like where kind of my mind was when I did that. And I and I always liked computers and I always, um, so it, it fit well, but it was kind of like I fell into my lap kind of situation. Um, I didn't really consider how male dominated it was at the time. Like I said, I come from an immigrant background my parents are from, are from Iraq and um, half of my female cousins are engineers. Like for me, like the visibility of the people in my family, the women were engineers anyway. So I didn't really consider that it'd be so male dominated. It was a kind of a little bit of a, a shock when I, you know, entered school. Um, that being said, a uh, couple of jobs later, landed at Shopify, <laughs> been there for three years. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a mix of, it's a mix of a couple of things. I think it's um, a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time, I would say. Um, but also it's about learning how to navigate a very, uh, what could be a difficult space as a woman. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's just something I enjoy doing. Uh, yeah, working, working pretty hard as well. So happy <laughs> where I am right now. You could um, give yourself a piece of advice as you first started out. You saw a lot of people doing, you saw a lot of women doing software engineering around you, and then you went to school, and there was a lot of, it was a male-dominated field. You could speak to that person about to walk into those school doors. Do you have any tips or advice that you would give to yourself looking back? Oh, so much. <laughs> so, so much. Um, one thing I will say is, like, I think my personality changed a lot. I think I was, I, I became a little bit more of a, like a, uh, like I think that the, the environment that I was in kind of shrunk me down a little bit. I think if I were to give myself one piece of advice would be like not to let your environment shrink you down. Even if you're 
one of the only women or if you feel like there's a lot of pressure on you, don't let that affect you. It's easier said than done, but I think that's what would have what I would tell myself for sure. I have a follow up question about that piece of advice and Fabiola, this is also close to you. But can you talk to me about someone who maybe inspired you as you first began? Is there anybody that you looked up to that was that you saw was doing what you were doing or maybe just you saw some sort of inspiration in them? Is there anybody that comes to mind when I ask that question? I don't know if there's one specific person in my case, but there was this group of girls that were a year ahead of me. And I was kind of so jealous of them being like three, four girls. And they were always sticking together and they were in the software engineering program. And I would go to them a lot for like, uh, like homework help or whatever. And they were always so, so, so smart and like so gracious and so nice and so helpful. And I was like, if I can be in a position to do this for the next person, then I definitely want to do that. Um, and so, yeah, so maybe not one person, but that just little, that little sub-community of women in software engineering that I really relied on very heavily throughout my um, degree, I would consider them pretty inspirational. Um, for my part, uh, the first person would be my mom. Um, ever since uh, we immigrated to Canada, she has always been a champion for um, gathering people together and um, just creating safe spaces for folks. Um, through the hardships that we went through, you know, um, getting comfortable here in Canada and being in this new environment. She's always made us feel safe, me and my brothers and my dad. And she's always been like the tie in our family. And so um, when starting uh, to, when wanting to create a safe space for others, I always have her in the background, you know, guiding me and giving me the advice and supporting me. And that really leads me to be able to do that for others. And so uh, I, I really do champion my mom for that. Um, and then it would be my partner, Mariam, uh, and Vanessa, uh, my partners. They uh, have always been there from the beginning of the program um, through all the ideas that were good, bad, and all the changes that we had to do. Um, having that, um, those two black women that understand what you're going through, understand the adversity that you're going to face with new ideas and in a place where um, people don't necessarily like accept you and think you're, that your ideas may be too grand. Um, they always reassured me and what we were doing was right and what we were doing was going to change um, the lives of a lot of young folk. And so I, I championed them for that and they, they really pushed me to continue, yeah. I really hear what you say with your with your mom as well. Like you're talking a lot of, about a lot of people in your community that help encourage you and like reassure you. And mm -hmm. I, it's it's nice to hear about them as well. Um, something you also mentioned that reassurance. Um, I have a follow up question about that. If you wanted to, mm -hmm. to explore that, but how can that encouragement happen of for women to pursue more entrepreneurial? senior leadership roles in their careers, whether that be in their career, whether that be in politics. Um, you talked a little bit about that reinsurance, but there is, is there anything else about that helps in the encouragement of bringing more women into that space? What do you think? Um, I think that, you know, it's like cracking down on the self-doubt. Um, you know, uh, I had enormous self-doubt, you know, running to become a politician at my age, being a young black woman, being a young black queer woman. <laughs> It was um, 
I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if people were going to um, take me seriously. And so um, when speaking with my mom and my peers, that's when I realized that, you know, it's cracking down on that self-doubt, really reassuring yourself and continuing to tell yourself that maybe the spaces don't look like you want them to look right now, but you are um, contributing to making it better for yourself and the next generation of women. So being that example, pushing away from that self-doubt, it's, it's creating the path for yourself, but also for the young women who are seeing you and being like, okay, she's doing this, you know, she's working hard at this and um, I can do that too. You know, she may be going through all the self-doubt, but I see how she's handling it and maybe I can, you know, follow in her footsteps. So, yeah. Dina, what do you think about that question? Yeah, I would 100% echo everything Fabiola just said. Um, I will say though, like I'm in a position right now where I interview people for all kinds of jobs. And I noticed such a clear difference in between how men interview and how women interview. Um, I was interviewing somebody not long ago and she's like, yeah, I'm the director of engineering at my co the company that I'm currently with. And I do this and I do that and I do this. And, and she's listing all these things that makes her make her like super qualified for this position at uh, Shopify. And then she's like, but you know what, even if I start off at, and then she completely demoted herself to like a lower uh, position. And she's like, even if I do that and I work myself my way up, I'd be happy. And in my head, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> You admit, like, you cannot do that. You should not do that. But that is part of the self-doubt. It's a part of, like, feeling like you always have to prove yourself, feeling like you always have to, um, like, by default, you start off somewhere. And then only if you prove yourself to the people around you, then you can, you know, be justified in the position that you want. And I think, um, again, echoing what Fabiola said is, like, getting rid of that self-doubt, having the confidence in your abilities, being a little less humble. Like, it's good to be humble, but just be a little bit less humble. And, um, and yeah, that's what I feel. Yeah, like not even contributing to a visualization of yourself in a lesser role or in places that you don't even want to be in. So you don't even have to give any energy to that. Exactly. Hey, it's Natasha, and it's time to get you in the know. International Women's Day edition. Currently, almost more than 50% of migrants, including refugees, internally displaced, and stateless peoples, are women and children. When crisis strikes, like most issues, existing gender inequalities are exacerbated. This includes gender-based violence, exclusion from life-saving services and decision-making processes, amongst other things. One in five female refugees are estimated to have experienced sexual violence. Women's livelihoods are often hit hardest because they tend to work in informal sectors, and girls are the first ones to be pulled out of school. These are just some of the issues that disproportionately affect female migrants. According to UN Women, when women are meaningfully engaged and their needs are directly addressed, humanitarian action is more efficient and effective, the transition to recovery accelerated, and community-wide resilience is enhanced. That being said, Gender equality is a win for everyone involved. And now, back to the episode. Both of you have touched upon um, diversity in the places that you're at, representation in the places that you're at, whether that be at school, whether that be in politics, whether that be in authors or um, beyond. Why do you think diversity in the workplace is so important? 
Um, so I think diversity is really important in the places that I work in because um, the world that we live in is diverse. You know, we the the places that we work in are representations of the larger scale of population that we live in, and so working on making them more diverse and including um, more uh, different voices um, is uh, working on making a better representation of the people that we represent, you know? Um, I'm a big advocate of like changing the type of literature that we're reading in schools because in the classroom, you know, it's diverse. You have kids from all different backgrounds and reading books that only center white male protagonists is harmful for these students. It was harmful for me because I, I felt as though I didn't matter. I felt as though um, I was excluded and marginalized and my voice didn't, it wasn't represented. And in some ways that could be a representation of the society that we live in now where marginalized folks are, their voices are being unheard and silenced. And so having more diverse literature and having more diverse individuals is pushing against that barrier that we see um, and that the marginaliz marginalization that is in our society at the moment, yeah. Yeah, I think also from like, from a business perspective, uh, like obviously to make it a nice place to work, for me, I like there to be diversity. I feel like I can thrive and I can grow uh, and I have a lot more room for you know risk and failure than I would in a situation in which there isn't diversity in the workplace. Um, like, for example, I've I've been, my first internship, I was 19 or 20 years old. I was, my first internship as a software engineer, and I was working at a company in which it was like 300 engineers, and I was the only woman in the entire building. And it was the most stressful experience of my life. Not only was it my first job, but I always, I felt like there was so much pressure that I had no room to fail whatsoever. And having no room to fail whatsoever means that you can't grow at all. And so for me personally, having diversity in the workplace means I can fail, I can risk, and these are things that allow you to grow. But even from a business perspective, I think what more and more companies are learning is that diversity means diversity of thought as well. And diversity of thought brings for better, more collaborative teams that end up creating better product. And I 100% noticed that as well. I worked somewhere where it wasn't quite as drastic. There were other women on the floor at least, but it was still very male dominated. It was still very, it was like almost like the same person like that was like <laughs> copy pasted across like the same university. They went to the same university, grew up in the same town and the way they thought was almost identical. There was very little challenging ideas and it made it so that the product was very, you know, not very challenging either. It didn't really do what you would hope, uh, you know, to have a software team be able to do is to think outside the box create something for more people and things like that. So like for your individual ability to work well, it's really important, but also from a business perspective, I think people need to realize how important it is. Follow-up question for both of you about that topic too. How can allies leverage their privilege within these spaces to uplift and support that growth, that challenging, that risk-taking, and that growth of equality in the workplace? And also, not even in the workplace, just like in life itself. I think it's about knowing when you are overstepping. It's about, you know, being really, um, it's about recognizing your position in a space and knowing when you're overstepping, knowing where, when the space that you're occupying is unequal 
and um, when it's it, it's unequal to a point where it's like harming, you know, others. So yeah, it's about being very recognizant of your own position in a space. You know, once people individually understand that, then there can be like a movement towards changing the narrative and being and leading towards a more diverse community and diverse space. Yeah. Um, echo everything you said, which is very, it's very nice to go second because then I can just be like everything she said. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, one thing that I personally try to do is I try to take out the idea that if a, if a, if a characteristic is typically found in women, that it's necessarily something that needs to be changed. Like we hear a lot like, oh, apologetic language is bad. Don't be apologetic in your language. Don't you can remove filter words, remove just, uh, you know, words like and things like that. And then I try to challenge that. And like like I said before, women are typically a little bit more humble. And so I try to challenge those things as necessarily that they're not necessarily bad things. Personally, I like to work with people who are a little bit more apologetic and give me the benefit of the doubt when they when they message me or when they talk to me. Um, I like working with people who don't try to grab attention for every little thing. You know, if we work on something together that they can be hum like they can have the humility to share in the impact as well. Um, so now that I'm kind of in a position where I can highlight those kind of things, um, uh, if somebody's being humble, I'll make sure to be the one that says like, Hey, thank you publicly. Hey, thank you X person for being the person who, you know, did this work. Uh, and unblocked us and this is your impact and thank you so much for doing that and I try to counter um, those things but yeah just in general just being mindful of just because it's something that's found in women more often than men does not mean that it's a negative thing that needs to be changed mm -hmm. um I'm, we're talking on a couple days or just a week before international women's day and so I want to mm -hmm. also introduce um when we think about international women's day we think of things like barriers we think about things like power we think like um, characteristics, that type of thing. So I want to visit the idea of power. What does the idea of power mean to both of you? Um, and have you ever been in a situation that makes you think women and power are two incompatible concepts? Have you looked at you first? Um, so in terms of the idea of power, um, I think I really... Uh, came in contact with that when starting the book club or when um you know running for a political office um where um i had a very bad like misconception of what power was i always thought of it as something greedy something that is individualistic and not really shared but um once i started the book club and we started as a team i didn't start as an individual telling people, you know, this and this and this. We started as a team and I realized how power is shared, how power is, you know, um, can be uh, exchanged between different folks in order to create something beautiful. The same thing with when I was running for political office, I was, um, you know, I, I always saw politicians as being greedy individuals who held power all to themselves, but working with the team and running um, the campaign and, you know, having different types of opinions, I saw how it was exchanged, how in some positions, you know, I was, I sat back and absorbed information and in some positions I was leading. And 
that got to show me a like a different version of how we could use that to be able to do better and to help and um yeah it it, it really it like switched my being in those positions really switched my my perception of what we mean by power and in referencing how um women and power like interact um i really really felt as though during the campaign um being in such a male dominated area not seeing a lot of young women of color running um i felt as though sometimes i i didn't i wasn't in that space and i shouldn't be in that space i shouldn't be speaking up for the issues that i see and um for the people that i'm representing because i felt kind of like out of space out of my place but it was all about working through that working through that self doubt that we talked about um to be able to you know counter that that yes women can take charge yes women can have the agency in order to work better to help to create safe spaces and communities that are stronger that are more reliable self-reliable and um that thrive yeah i think for me for me i feel it's going to sound super um like cringy and cliche but i honestly do feel that i feel the most powerful when i'm able to provide an opportunity for somebody else and in the position that i'm in right now that's the thing that makes me the happiest is that like if someone tells me like hey this is what i want to do next in my career and i have the power to provide them with that opportunity that's how i feel powerful too um i i guess it, it kind of touches influence but it's more about um just elevating others sorry it's cringy and it's it's cheesy but it really is what it is to me so um yeah for sure yeah there's that quote and i'm not sure you said it so i'm not going to even try to reference like the exact thing but in in general idea it's power once you get to a certain place is turning around and helping the person behind you grabbing the person's hand and making sure you're lifting them up the ladder as well <laughs> what is the most important piece of advice that you've talked a bit about the people that maybe inspired you who have some sort of impact on how you see yourself and how you work and how you look at the world about what's possible um so in that same thread is there any like important piece of advice that you've gotten that really stays with you um and is there a message that you want to send out to young women of color in positions that you have found yourselves in or uh, in the past or just starting out their career or just listening to this So um when I was in high school I was the loudmouth I uh, I'm extroverted I love to talk I love to discuss I love to argue and debate and um that was really like looked frowned upon when I was in high school I went to like a private institution where everybody was proper and you know and me being the like the person who's super loud and has so many ideas um I always felt like on the outside and um i you know i come home and talk to my mom about you know the different experiences i've had where people have told me you need to be more you know like calm and quiet and my mom always told me stand your ground you know um and that's the best piece of advice that i've had that i always keep on like uh that i carry with me in all the projects and all the different activities that i host and work on and all the different opportunities that i do um it's to stand my ground because even when we started the book club a lot of people said oh well why are you doing it like this and is this really a good idea and i don't think this is going to help 
or when I ran for office, you know, you're really too young and maybe this isn't really right for you at the moment, wait a few years. And all these different like voices telling me and negating what I wanted to do. And I, I just pushed through that with my mom telling me, stand your ground. You know, if this is what you want to do, if this is how you want to uh, accomplish something, then do it, you know? A lot of people are going to tell you no. A lot of people are going to tell you it's not a good idea. Um, but standing your ground and, and reassuring yourself uh, is working through that. And it, it's, it's better for you. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think um, for me, it's something that my, also my mother ingrained in me. I'm, I tend to be an anxious person. And I have a like kind of like we were talking about before. I have some self-doubt. Um, growing out of it a little bit, but I also have a lot of imposter syndrome, also trying to grow out of it. But, um, and those two things, um, like my mom engraved in me from a very young age that like, you're, you, you are, you are, um, where you're supposed to be. Like if you're somewhere, if somebody hired you, if somebody gave you, if you have a position, if you're doing this, whatever it may be, you're there because that's where you're supposed to be. Not because you scammed your way into it. Um, but sometimes, you know, your mother tells you things and you're like, oh, it's just my mom. And then you have somebody that maybe you work with who, you know, I had a lead who told me pretty much the exact same thing. Like, you're not an imposter here. We hired you here because we know that you can have a lot of impact here. There's no reason to be thinking that. And then it like slowly you kind of need a lot of reassurance, um, especially when there's so much so many systemic reasons that you that brings you down. So you kind of do need a lot of that reassurance as, as you go. But so, yeah, it's just like, the, you know, unless you're actively scamming your way into places, you're not an imposter. <laughs> you're not tricking anyone into thinking you're something that you're not. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Thank you both, both for sharing those pieces of advice. Um, I have a last question about this uh, mm -hmm. subject of power. Um, what does breaking the bias mean to you? When I say that sentence, uh, breaking the bias or glass ceiling, um, when I say that sentence, what types of things come up to mind? Maybe you can go first. Um, it, I think about being loud and proud. Um, I've always had like the loudest voice in the classroom um, uh, when we're jotting down ideas for the book club and for the campaign. And it's about, and I've always had people tell me, you need to be more quiet and be more docile and stuff. And um, I, for the other, for other people who are loud and who are expressive and who are extroverted, I feel as though it's important to be able to continue to be proud of that. Um, it's part of my personality. It's, it's who I am. And so that's how I break the bias um, when people are telling me and telling women to be more calm and not refrain from saying certain ideas and stuff it, it actually hinders us more than help and so for, for by being loud and being proud of it I'm I know that I'm helping myself but I'm also helping others uh, who are coming up with me yeah I think I'll echo a very similar sentiment I think for me it's just like it means taking up the space that you deserve whether and 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 very true if you're extroverted nobody should put you down if you're introverted uh you should also definitely take up this space that you deserve um and not shrink yourself down at any point 
take up the space that you take up. Um, I have a final question for you both, and you can take this however you want to take this. Um, is there anything that we talked about so far in this conversation that you wanted me to ask you more about or something that comes to mind that uh, you wanted to add as we uh, think about the end of our talk together? Is there anything that comes to mind? I think we did the rounds. I mean, <laughs> yeah. How can people find your book club? <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, okay, all the social media stuff. Yeah. Um, so our book club is called Black Girls Gather a Book Club. You can find us on Instagram at Black Girls Gather MTL. And there you'll have all the resources for people who want to join, people who want to join the team, people who are looking for book recommendations by um, authors of color on wide different on a wide different uh, types of genres because we touch upon everything. Like last month, we were just reading plays by Black authors. Um, so we really um, make a point to show our participants and our community that Black authors are present in uh, a wide range of different works of literature. So any interest in any genre, we probably have it on our Instagram. And then from then on, email us, message us, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep in contact. Cool. Thanks. Tina, is there anything that came up through this conversation that you wanted me to ask you more about? Is there any final comments that you wanted to uh, I don't have anything cool like that to promote, but what I will say is um, if you uh, if you do find yourself needing somebody to mentor you through this industry, um, please don't hesitate to just find me on LinkedIn, send me a message. Um, I will help guide you through this industry. If you're looking for a job, maybe I can help you get a job, whatever it may be. Um, please don't hesitate to just hit me up. Um, thank you for being on Point of Entry, Tina. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your advice. Thank you for sharing your advice to yourself and to others who are in your position. Thank you um, for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, if you want to continue learning more about the Refugee Center, you can visit our website at therefugeecenter.org and you can follow us on social media, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. You can stay tuned for our next episode and thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah.